0: Hi everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we are breaking down some more current comic book storylines. Typically we focus on things that are coming up with new Marvel MCU properties, but there are so many more other comics out there that may or may not relate to the MCU at some point in the future. Uh, but are nevertheless enjoyable reads and one of those is something i've been waiting to read uh, since june and uh, it's a two-part thing that we're going to be talking about on this episode uh, which is the hellfire gala uh, along with the trial of magneto so Um, Both of these, I was lucky enough, my last comic shipment, I got the last bits of this. Uh, I did not read Hellfire Gala as it was coming out, as I've stated in some uh, prior episodes. I'm trying not to buy as many comic books as I normally do, or I guess did. Uh, And instead, uh, trying to focus more on collected editions, Uh, oftentimes I find myself buying these comics and then putting them in their bag and board and storing them forever, never to be seen again, and uh, was using the digital copies a little more than the actual physical ones. So what I'm doing now is saving those digitals for Marvel Unlimited. And then buying collected editions for those things that really stand out to me. And I knew that the Hellfire Gala would, so I went ahead and I'd pre-ordered the uh, Red Carpet edition, the hardcover, uh, which came in at the exact same time as the final issues for Trial of Magneto, uh, which I had purchased single issues for because the covers were uh, the variant covers were just absolutely gorgeous. So uh, as I've been reading on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, again, I skipped over all of the Hellfire Gala issues uh, and we're probably three or four issues from that now, uh, being that this comic series took place during all of June, basically. Uh, but it's a, it's a whirlwind run. So I'm pretty sure if you have Marvel Unlimited, you should be able to search uh, for Hellfire Gala and it should have the reading order all up if you if it doesn't. Uh, apologies for that Uh, again this collected edition has them all in order but the order of the books is marauders issue number 21 x-force issue number 20 hellions issue number 12 excalibur 21 x-men 21 planet-sized x-men number one new mutants 19 x-corp 2 wolverine 13 sword 6 way of x3 and x factor 10 and then trial of magneto is issues one through five uh i don't believe the last two, maybe even three issues of Trial of Magneto are on Marvel Unlimited yet since this most recent issue just came out in December and it takes three months for them to be on there. But I wanted to talk about it anyway. So we will be talking spoilers for the Hellfire Gala and also for the Trial of Magneto. So for any of you out there who haven't been following along with X-Men since House of X and Powers of Ten back in, I believe that was 2019, Uh, If it was 2018, uh, that'll be crazy that it's been that long ago. But Jonathan Hickman came in. He completely changed up the X-Men storyline and uh, gave them a brand new, completely exciting status quo change where through the reveal of uh, Moira McTaggart actually being a mutant and her mutant power being the ability to travel back in time or not necessarily travel back in time, but she basically has... Uh, all of these lives. And so when she dies, she is reborn. Her power is reincarnation. And right now in current day X-Men continuity, she is on her theoretical last life. She may get one more life if she dies, but it all depends on what happens according to destiny in the house and powers of X. Uh, Stories. And so as that storyline kind of played out, mutants are now at this point of thriving. They are their own society now, separate from humanity. They live on an island called Krakoa that is actually a mutant. And there is a separate island called Arako, that is also uh, a mutant and is a portion of Krakoa. So they're actually one and the same. They got split a really long time ago. The lore is absolutely amazing. And if you need to know more about that lore, we do have an episode on comics and cinema way, way back in the scrolls for X of Swords. Uh, there was a giant series around that where essentially uh, Arako and Krakoa went to war along with other, other world And the ending of that, Apocalypse led the mutants, and uh, apparently Apocalypse's bride, his wife, led the other side. And so they had this giant, huge battle by the end of it. Essentially, each side had to sacrifice themselves in one way, shape, or form. And so what ended up happening was Apocalypse, I believe, gave himself to Arako, and the bride of Cypher came to Krakoa, so they had to like exchange a prisoner or something like that. And so that's kind of where things have been left is that Araco is, you know, this place where there's literally millions of other mutants that we don't even know about because they're from this plane of existence. We've never seen this this new island that just showed up, which is kind of really cool, really cool concept. Uh, But one of the other pieces that was brought up during these tumultuous times was how much the mutants hate Scarlet Witch. So I just wanted to set that scene as well. No one likes Scarlet Witch, and that's because, uh, for any of you familiar, during House of M, she erased the powers of all mutants. She said no more mutants, and I believe it was 98% of the mutant population was depowered. Uh, there was a famous storyline for a while of the 198, which were the 198 mutants that were left on the planet after millions of them had you know, their lives. So uh, really cool storyline in that regard when they were explaining that, that she is essentially the great pretender, that she was pretending to be a mutant. And all of that stems from uh, Marvel's need to mimic the films at the time, uh, as you all probably could assume, or maybe already knew, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, and her brother Quicksilver uh, were the children of Magneto. They were mutants. And when Marvel didn't have the rights to use the word mutant in the movies, uh, again, Fox owned the rights to the mutants at that time. uh, The comics decided to retcon that and say that they are not, in fact, mutants. They are not related to Magneto. It was more of a found family situation. Honestly, I don't care one way or the other. I liked that they were mutants. uh, And I thought it was pretty cowardly for them to change it the way that they did. But that literally was like six, seven years ago. So it's kind of like you got to deal with it. Uh, And she's now kind of focused as to being a much more powerful sorceress at this point in time. So um, there's that. Uh, But again, you know, all of the mutants hate her because she killed so many mutants. Basically, she depowered so many mutants. She was one of the biggest reasons that mutant kind was on the brink of extinction. And then everything happened with Moira. And now uh, mutants can't die. And this is one of their huge, really big secrets right now is that they have something called mutant resurrection uh, by the five. And uh, I I used to, I'd have to pull up the actual panel of who those five are. I know Hope Summers is one of them. Uh, I think Fabian Cortez, uh, Proteus maybe. There's basically five mutants that through the combination of their powers can bring mutants back to life from the dead. So when one of them dies, they go through this resurrection protocol and they come back alive. And then through the power of Cerebro, as we all know from the comics, with the ability to uh, you know detect mutants all over the world, they found a way to have that almost be like a backup hard drive for mutant consciousness. So when you die, you come back and your mind, your memories, all of that is restored uh, into your body from the last backup. So again, you may have missed a few days, that sort of thing. Uh, all played out uh, in the original stories for not just the idea that this is a new status quo for the mutants, right? They can't die. But also just that that's, you know there's new possibilities now. that uh, and, and people really wanted to explore that. You can think of this also as a primer for what will be another episode we're going to do as the final issue comes out. Uh, Again, unfortunately, I don't receive my comics except for once a month, so I'm not going to be getting the final issue of Inferno until uh, the end of January, uh, only to say that uh, I'm going to try and follow this current story for you guys so that you can see how great Uh, things are right now for the mutants, but also maybe where this will lead mutant kind uh, in the MCU. So uh, that's kind of where things are at. There's this resurrection stuff going on. And the interesting thing is that no one else knows about it. So this is almost like a mutant secret, because think about it. If anyone else on the planet, if a human found out that the mutants were able to cheat death and defeat death, uh, it would just be, minds would be lost and uh, it's explored a bit in through Orcus, which is the giant big bad right now of the, uh, of the overarching mutant stories. They are the ones that are essentially going to be creating uh, Nimrod, Master Mold, all of that stuff to d- destroy mutants, and they have to be stopped. And so at, at this point in time, uh, mutantdom has thrived now for what, a year, year and a half, maybe two years. And so Emma Frost has decided to have a Hellfire Gala, which is something that hasn't been done for quite some time. It's played off for fashion, uh, both in real life and in the comics. This was a really cool opportunity for especially Russell Dowderman, one of the best artists of all time, to really flex his skills and create costumes for all of the mutants. These really gorgeous Met Gala-esque costumes Uh, and they're just amazing. And so the the version of the hardcover that I got was the Russell Dowderman cover that has a lot of those amazing costumes on it just because it was so cool. Uh, But uh, as with most of these things, you know, a mutant party like this can't go on without some revelations, some some, uh, hoopla, all of that sort of stuff. And that is what ends up happening in this story. So uh, I'm really glad that I waited. I'm glad that I got to read it all at once. I will say That if you were looking for, you know, nonstop stuff happening all the time, kind of like X of Swords, where, you know, everything was kind of linear and happened all at once. It isn't exactly like that. Some of these issues were a little less interesting to me than the others. The ones that stood out to me in that regard were uh, New Mutants, X Corp, and Way of X. And uh, no, not really X-Factor. That one kind of was good. And the reason why is I haven't really been a fan of the New Mutants series. So even that issue, all it was about was them partying. And so uh, I wasn't really that interested. X-Corp was fine, uh, only that I've been reading and it's a really good series, X-Corp and Way of X in real time. And so having to go back and reread the third uh, and second issues again, respectively, uh, I kind of brushed through those ones because I'd already read them. Uh, but the rest of these were so good. So the, the big takeaways from this, again, I'm not going to dive into issue by issue. Uh, that's something I think you guys can discover for yourselves. But what's really cool is there's a lot of different things going on. And again, everyone's kind of has their uh, their little, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but like they've all got their their machinations, their, their plans are in place. So you've got in like X-Force, for example, Beast through his storyline or the X-Force storyline, he's planning bugs on all of the the delegates who are showing up to this gala because all these humans have been invited. Uh, the whole plot being to, you know, show them, hey, we're mutants, we're here. Uh, we're proud of who we are, and we're not letting anyone run us. It's kind of up to you at this point, you know, balls in your court. And so Beast has been using this terraforming, Uh, you know, plant type stuff from this place called Terra Verde, again, all throughout uh, X-Force. And I would recommend X-Force. So that's probably going to be a part of this too, because again, for those of you who are like, okay, I haven't, you know, read any of the X-Men series, where do I go from here? Uh, It's a little hard to jump into it, but at the same time, you could be okay doing so uh it would i would just hope that after you've read it you'd be going oh yeah now i want to really read you know x-force and i want to check out hellions and all of that um i would highly recommend marauders x-force hellions x-men uh wolverine uh way of x x corp like i said those are great x factors also been good too wasn't a huge fan of sword but the issue of sword in here is really good uh planet size x-men is a one-shot And then uh, again, you know, Excalibur is kind of hit or miss for me. I'm not a huge fan of Excalibur, but regardless, again, that's kind of one thing that's going on at this time. The biggest thing though, that's the craziest part of this all is that there's also like human people trying to plot against the mutants. And so Great Britain is now deciding to work with Madripoor and with, uh, I believe it was Russia to uh verendi is is technically what it is so verendi is based out of madripoor but they're all anti-mutant companies and so at this party they all forge an alliance which was actually kind of cool uh there's a big moment in here and I, i take it to mean something really big for the future we have no idea what it is but there's a moment where Reed Richards and his family come to the Gallon, and, and uh, Charles Xavier is welcoming them. Charles also has a badass costume in here. It's the same thing, but it's like all gold and white. Super cool. But uh, Reed Richards whispers something to him. And it's taken to mean, at least the way that I saw it in the panels, was that it wasn't good. It seemed like a diss or something and uh, we don't know what it is they you know it they don't reveal what the text is of what he whispers which was pretty wild Um, there's also uh, you know there's a bit here where they're trying to resurrect or or they're trying to bring back Morgan Le Fay which was pretty crazy Uh, there's a big piece of it with Richter as well that's all throughout Excalibur too and the uh, there's a piece in here too that was really interesting and I guess my favorite spot of this entire thing uh, two pieces, X-Men 21, and then Planet Size X-Men 1. And again, I had read X-Men 21 when the series came out, but that issue reveals who the new squad of the X-Men was. And it's so cool because it's actually revealed by none other than Russell Douderman, uh, which is just more than well-deserved. Reser- uh, and the new group of X-Men are Rogue, Sunfire, uh, Laura Kinney as Wolverine, Sink, Polaris, Uh, But then also Jean Grey and Cyclops, and they are they currently have their own series going on right now Jerry Duggan is doing that one as well and it's been really enjoyable, but it's cool to see how they voted like I won't reveal too much in regards to that but just the voting process was really cool, and then from there, they kept talking about fireworks. And uh, just in in the mighty Marvel fashion, I knew what this was already because Marvel does a really, really good job of spoiling all of their comics before they come out, uh, because they try to build up the marketing so that you buy the comics. So I already knew that the mutants had populated Mars, and boy would it have been nice to have that be a surprise because uh, it's such a big reveal. But again, when you're, you know, trying to market the machine, you have to spoil a lot of things. And so I don't uh, blame Marvel because I forgot about it. And by the time I read it, I was like, oh, cool. But uh, it was still it was very powerful. And so just to see, I won't spoil or reveal anything in regards to how it's done. But to see them populate Arako onto Mars is such a cool idea. I mean, they have the power. They have the resources, they've got them and they've got a million or whatever mutants in Araco that are these new mutants. You could make up whatever power you want for them and they do. And they are uh, conveniently powers that would help kind of populate a planet. But it's a cool concept that now the capital of the soul system, which is what they call it, that is our solar system around the sun, the soul system is Araco on Mars. And the Regent of Mars is none other than Storm. So um, really cool to see, again, them just really hammering home that we are the mutants. This is like, the this this came out during the Reign of X, I believe, storyline. So this is them. This is the X-Men at the uh, top of their game, you could say. This is them at their prime. And it was really cool to see because beyond that, it's just a really big party. And so if you're wanting to read a comic series that has some really good bits of action, a ton of intrigue and mystery, but is also just really fun because it's about a party and it's not necessarily about some world-ending thing, it in fact is about a world-creating thing, uh, makes it really cool and just shows that even two or so years into this new reign of X, dawn of X, uh, and I think we're getting to I don't know, is it Destiny of X that's coming after this? I'm not so sure, but uh, they're just, they're hammering home. It's just, it's, it baffles me because I'm a huge X-Men fan. I always have been, Uh, I've followed them when I was kids, you know, the animated shows, X-Men Evolution, all of that, the cards. Uh, And when I was reading the comics, there were some really good X-Men comics when I'd started, uh, and then they just went into this lull. And we've talked. I've talked about this, I know, on uh, the House of X and Powers of 10 episodes that it did at the very beginning of my career as a podcasting, just talking about how it seemed like Marvel was really obsessed with the status quo of the X-Men being not good enough, that there's only a few of them. They're all depowered. The world is always against them. And Hickman's run came at such a perfect time to bring them back into the forefront of this and to make them truly who they are, that they are powerful, that they are stronger than humans, that they can develop these cures and beat death. I mean, there's, there's so much about this that really puts them at the top, which makes me really excited to have our conversation when we do, when Inferno wraps up, because uh, I just read the third issue of it, there's only one more issue. And this third issue looks like it's going to blow everything open and truly, uh, in some ways, possibly burn down everything that's been going on, which is the whole point. That's why they called it Inferno. But it's it's a bummer to see because you want you root for the mutants, even when they're at the height of their power. You're still rooting for them because you know how much they've gone through. And to see this, this ultimate night of excess and to see so many different angles of it, so many different storylines from it, it just felt like. I was a part of some really special thing, which was really cool to, I don't know why it's so strange to, to think that like, you know, most comic stories you're looking at them and uh, you know, it's like, Oh, it's gotta be a six issue structure. It's gotta have a beginning and an end and all of this sort of stuff. And it can't be too crazy. This felt like all throwing all of that on its head. Like it just, there was so many quiet moments that were really cool. And it just, it felt like I was getting a peek behind the curtain, getting to walk down the red carpet and it led to at the very end the final thing that we see which is that scarlet witch comes back and she meets with magneto but then the very last panel of the hellfire gala is that she's dead and so now and then that was what you know you'd imagine my surprise when i was reading on marvel unlimited i had skipped all those issues and i was like whoa 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 so like and i started reading trial of magneto and i didn't realize it was about scarlet witch being dead and I was like, cool, all right, so there's something else that was spoiled for me as well. And uh, but it didn't end up being that way because again, it's comics, and we find out by, I believe it's the second issue that Scarlet Witch isn't actually dead, that uh, and, and we see throughout this that this book isn't really even about Magneto. It's about Scarlet Witch. And so if you're a huge Scarlet Witch fan, this was a great story. I would highly recommend checking it out. Even if you're a Big Bang Magneto fan too, he does shine in it, but it's not so much about a have him having a trial. It is about the trial of what he has to do for her by the end of this. And so, like I said, we are going to talk some spoilers on here just because uh, I finished reading this and I, I want to get this out. I want to get this documented. So this trial is more so about what is going on with Scarlet Witch. And the reason for that kind of comes back to what we were talking about with her being the great pretender. Nobody likes her. And so here she is on Krakoa. She's dead. They talk about resurrecting her, but she's not a mutant. So she doesn't get to fall under those resurrection protocols. And so we see her back. And it's like, okay, well, did she get resurrected? What's going on? And so they're, you know, they're trying to interrogate Magneto. They're trying to figure this out. And of course he's saying, I had nothing to do with this, though. A lot of the evidence is pointing towards him having something to do with this. But as time goes on, we see that Scarlet Witch is actually battling something in another dimension, uh, a place called the, uh, it's called like the Eternal uh, Eden or something like that. The Eden Garden. And uh, really cool. It's like this, uh, this energy that uh, when she's there, she ends up actually getting to see some of her old self and some of her, her uh, actual older self. <laughs> so uh, they, they, she really talks about it in a way of like, um, you know, the, the, the past, the present and the future. And so she, uh, she sees like her older old self and her old self is trying to tell her like, oh, I'm trying to help you, yada, 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 explaining to her that she can't die. And so we get past this whole, oh, the Scarlet Witch is dead. Like, you know, that was that was the ploy of the first issue. But beyond, now we know that that's not the case, but we still are trying to figure out how and why she came back. But meanwhile, a bunch of giant kaiju randomly just explode onto the scene and now they all have to fight uh, these kaiju. And of course, you know, you have to think, okay, this is probably Scarlet Witch is doing or something like that. And by the end of it, it turns out, yes, that's exactly what it was. Uh, surprise, surprise. No, the the exciting thing, the really good thing in this is not just the story, but also the art. The art in here is by, uh, his name is uh, Lucas Warneck, and it's phenomenal. It's really great. I don't know if I've seen him before, but I would equate him to a more Uh, I guess you could say serious Stefano Caselli. I don't know if I can say it any other way than that, but I really like it. And uh, not only that though, it's a lot of the wider reaching ramifications that this story has for the rest of the Marvel universe. And so again, spoilers for the final issue. If you do not want to hear them, uh, skip ahead and uh, hopefully you can uh, catch them later when you've uh, read this story. But She comes back. Obviously, everything stops. She knows who killed her. It's Toad, uh, which kind of came out of left field. We didn't realize who it was, but Toad was actually framed by Magneto. And nobody knows this except for Magneto and Scarlet Witch. And so what ends up happening is Scarlet Witch, through her own power, realizes that she can actually do something to fix all of the wrongs she did in House of M. And part of that is by getting her into the Krakoan resurrection system. And so if she can get in there, she can kind of manipulate some things. And essentially you have to stretch your imagination quite a bit because what she does is essentially, and I'll see if I can find the exact panel of what she explains as to what's happened. But yeah, it says essentially 20 million mutants were added to the resurrection queue last night. 20 million souls who were lost before Cerebro started its backups or before the X gene could manifest. So these would be characters that maybe died a long time ago. And it says, time was compacted, folded in on itself into a composite possibility, allowing Cerebro to scan across time and space itself for every mutant who fell between the cracks of the resurrection protocols, which means now, no one is lost from <clears throat> from now on no mutant can ever be lost to us ever again and they're saying this as john Proudstar is resurrected that's i believe thunderbird himself uh the original and it's just in, in, insane and so she says and it, it was called part of it's called the elysian fields and so um scarlet Witch kind of explains she says what we have gained is a permanent offshore backup for loved ones protected from human hands deep in the astral plane it can never be sabotaged or touched by non, non-mutants imagine an opt-in elysian fields exclusive to mutants you can enter yourself into the resurrection queue now if you want as an alternative to the crucible all you have to do is walk up the steps and cross into this next room and it's just insane they said that so it exists in its own pocket dimension a liminal space between life and death, we're calling it the waiting room. And even Xavier is like, How is this all possible? And they tell her, Him, the Scarlet Witch, that's how it's possible. So, through her death, her energy is in gets into the resurrection system and essentially fixes and pulls all of these possibilities back in. So, again, you, you have you really have to uh, kind of stretch your imagination to understand it in a sense, but she's essentially fixed everything. And so, while You know, we can't, many can't forgive her for what she did back in house of M. It seems like the pathway is getting to that point because it says now as um, they're kind of telling stories around the campfire, uh, I believe it's, it's not Proteus. I always forget what his name is, but he was one of the big bads. He says, listen closely, young ones, for it is a time we begin to tell the tale of how the pretender became the redeemer and the scarlet witch is the one and she says once upon a time there was a witch and then it ends with a thing about the scarlet witch and so i wonder if we'll get a new i hope we get a new mc a uh, new mcu a new marvel uh series about scarlet witch that would be so great but i just thought like i said i loved this i love that she's been hated for so long and she's been getting so much mcu love and yes i get that it's like okay they should be separate that's true but Again, looking at the storyline in the comics, she has been dragged through the mud for decades. No one seems to write good Scarlet Witch stories. And if they do, they always end in tragedy. And so it's nice to see her put into a spot now where she does have some good things coming. And, and I can't speak too long on that because uh, you know, she's got the whole Darkhold series that just came out. And I don't know if that's gonna put her in a worse predicament, but where it leaves her here uh, is really exciting, and I think that's kind of the that's kind of the takeaway that I have for these comics. And the reason why I wanted to kind of take an episode to talk about this was to say the X Men comics are still on fire. They are still really fun to read. Uh, they are absolute blast, especially if you're getting to do it week by week on Marvel Unlimited as they release. Uh, we are getting very close. I think Inferno One is coming out in a couple weeks on on uh, Marvel Unlimited but it's just a really great time to be an X-Men fan. So if you're wanting to see what the next big thing is coming, uh, there's already rumors and, and obviously marketing from Marvel about, you know, another X-Men versus, it's not the X-Men versus the Avengers this time though. It's like the X-Men versus everyone versus the Eternals. Uh, and I imagine because again, you know, I, I, I'll say, I won't spoil anything, but to say, I don't think you can keep a secret at, like Mutant Resurrection, uh, under lit lock and key for too long. I think people are going to find out. And I think that's when the burning really starts. And I think that's also when uh, we start to see what this new mutant kingdom looks like because the, we have seen the most the most awesome rise, but there is always going to be a fall. And I just hope that when that fall does inevitably happen and it's no, no doubt named after another X-Men storyline from 20 years ago, Whenever that ends up happening, I just hope that the status quo is still as radical as it is right now because it just feels so cool to live and breathe with the X-Men and to be an X-Men fan right now. So that is going to do us for this episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you at the movies.